Welcome in, everybody. The podcast, Pete Forsey, the show, my name. It's the 100th episode of the podcast, and it's a great opportunity to thank you all, the listeners, the people that fuel me each and every day to make this show the best that I can be. And I know it's still a work in progress. It always will be. I'm in it for the long haul, though. I ain't going anywhere. And I know sometimes I've gone dark. And sometimes you're thinking, hey, Pete, where you at? Where's the show? I get it. But I'm always reminded every time I put it out, anytime someone gives me feedback, even if it's uh, critical feedback or even if it's just a few words, it always reminds me just how much fire I have to do this each and every time. And I love talking NFL football. I love talking Major League Baseball. I love talking NHL hockey or LeBron in the NBA. Whatever's going on, I want to give my thoughts because I want to interact and talk about this. It's one thing that I think about every single day. So thanks so much for choosing the podcast. Continue to follow. Continue to review. Let your friends know about it. We're everywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get to the show. Obviously, we have Tom Brady, Buccaneers, Aaron Rodgers, Packers. They're not playing up to their potential right now. I saw on Get Up, ESPN is on at the gym as I was getting my morning sweat on before every full day of work on Monday. And then when we come to record the podcast, whether it's on Monday or Tuesday, Maybe Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The show is always appearing. We like to keep you guessing on different days of the week. This week, here in October, it's going to be on Monday. And I was at the gym looking at the numbers that they put up for the Buccaneers, 32nd in offense. And then I think it was 31st, maybe it was 32nd in defense. They stink. One of those things that you just don't really put that together. You think Todd Bowles, you think... Uh, Levante David and Vita Vea and uh, uh, Deontay Whitfield um, in, in the secondary. And then, of course, Brady on offense. You think, like, all these playmakers and everything like that? No way. They're not that bad. You, you knew they were struggling. You knew they had some scars, but holy smokes. And on Rodgers, MVP, past two seasons, made the playoffs, been the number one seed. Obviously, they fell short in the playoffs, but it's just kind of like, what the hell is going on? And it made me think back to the summer. These quarterback contracts, and Brady doesn't necessarily fall into this category, but their their team does overall. When you pay $50 million, like the Packers did for Aaron Rodgers, and then the Ravens are considering doing for Lamar Jackson. I know Robert Griffin III wants to give him $300 million guaranteed. Deshaun Watson, he hasn't played yet, obviously. Uh, Matthew Stafford, he got top-tier dollar. Russell Wilson. You look at what's going on. When, when you give that much money to the quarterback, that's okay. But there's an expectation that you are band-aiding or putting on deodorant to the rest of the team, the deficiencies. You're getting paid that money because you can help make wine out of water. I'm looking at Green Bay and people are saying, oh, he doesn't have any help. They don't have any receivers. You got to get him some help. That was the whole point of 50 million. That's why they got rid of Devontae. Now he didn't want to play for him, but they weren't going to be able to keep him on the roster. It wasn't feasible. Same thing with Brady here. Like they don't have that top flight wide receiver outside of Evans and Godwin and Godwin's been hurt. 
you know, they, they just don't have it right now because they're strapped across the rest of the roster. And that's what Brady has paid the big bucks for. And right now he's not doing it. And I look at these other teams, the Russell Wilsons, and you're looking at Dak Prescott, where he's forced to do it in Dallas and he's missed time as well. That's the thing that you're expected as a quarterback to overcome. And, you know, it, it's something to think about because you look at Seattle and they're just like, well, we're not going to pay all that money. We're going to roll with Geno Smith. We'll put our money elsewhere and we'll still win a whole bunch of games. Now, granted, it's four and three and we're through week seven here, but you look up at the standings and there's Seattle. They're the New York Giants and they don't really apply to this conversation here, but when you get $40 million quarterbacks, they're expected to you know, make some okay receivers look pretty doggone good. That's what Patrick Mahomes is doing. They got rid of Tyreek because you can't hold on to everybody. And that's what Patrick Mahomes is doing is he's making average guys look really good. Juju, Miko Hartman, newsflash. Those guys wouldn't be playing well on another team. So I'm looking at the Brady and the Rodgers struggles, and there's some people saying that they need more help. Well, if you were one of those that's saying that they also need to be paid top dollar, then that just doesn't make sense. It's a salary cap league, and they're just going to have to figure this out quickly or they're going to be on the outside looking in come playoff time. So the trade came out on Thursday evening during the end of a horrible Thursday night football game. I know that there was a lot of points scored, and Andy Dalton threw two pick sixes, which I didn't see. I was watching the Yankee game, and the Yankees are now swept and out of the playoffs. Had the dual monitors going on, but the big news that I took away from Thursday night on the football side of things is Christian McCaffrey's now a niner, and you know people always bring up the running back aspect of it, but I don't think of it like that. He's not Jonathan Taylor. He's not Dalvin Cook. He's not LeGarrette Blunt. He's not just a runner. He's a weapon. The guy can catch. He can line up outside in the slot. It's not the correct way to think about it when you say they gave up second, third, and fourth for a running back. Yeah, that's how he's categorized. That's not how you use him. I know I've been pounding the table saying that Travis Kelsey is not a tight end. He's not. He's a big wide receiver. It's the same case here. Just because that's how he's listed on your fantasy lineup does not mean that's how you need to think about it. Jonathan Taylor is much different than Christian McCaffrey. Both phenomenal players, but one just totes the rock. The other one can actually touch the rock in the passing game. That's the way you got to think about it, along with the fact that you look at San Francisco, who else in the NFC do you feel is just a, a top-tier flight above them? Nobody. They haven't even played that well yet. They got some injuries, and obviously Jimmy Garoppolo is not uh, of Matthew Stafford's level. He's not of um, Aaron Rodgers' level. But in totality, with the roster, San Francisco's got the best best chances here to come out of the NFC and represent them in the, in the Super Bowl. And so you give up those picks, and you say we're going in on this year. And it's not even that you can't replenish your draft picks before next April. That's when the next draft is. And maybe you can trade Trent Williams after a Super Bowl championship. That's probably not the guy you want to, but you can trade a guy like uh, like you did with DeForest Buckner to the Colts or a uh, Fred Warner linebacker. You can get those picks back. And that's what I think the Patriots for years have done so well with is they'll trade draft picks. They'll trade four veteran players and then get those picks back doing other maneuvering. And 
I just I can't stand that it's looked at as a running back proposition. He's a weapon. Alvin Kamara, that's a weapon. Zeke Elliott in his heyday, still pretty good. That's a weapon. He totes the rock in multiple ways, or he touches the rock in multiple ways. And that's the way to think about it. And I look at the front four with Nick Bosa, another guy that maybe you trade to get some draft picks back. That's how you got to think about this is that they're going all in on this year and there's no clear-cut team that's way above them. They can be the top team and make a, a second Super Bowl here in the in the past four years, I think it is. So good move by San Francisco. They got a heck of a player. It didn't work out on Sunday, but the Chiefs, obviously no shame in losing them. And I think this is really going to be that strong second-half team once injuries start to clear up and once Christian McCaffrey learns the playbook, the Niners will be the best team in the NFC. Hats off to New York football. Giants, Jets continue to win. I'm going to break down why I think the Giants are for real and the Jets are a little bit of opposers. We we, we can get the Jets out of the way here. They just had their best player, Brees Hall, go down with an ACL. That is a devastating blow. That's as bad as an injury that I've seen probably this year. I can't think off the top of my head a worse injury for a team. That guy's their best player. And with Zach Wilson not playing a whole lot of uh, uh, of drop back passing so far, he's not being asked to actually throw the ball 35, 40 times, which is a good thing. They don't want to have him do that because he would throw probably four interceptions if that were the case. He's being asked to do less, and it's good. He's been playing under control and taking care of the ball, and they're able to win tight, close, contested matches. Now, they beat Denver yesterday with Brett Ripon. I actually picked the Broncos to win that one. Foolish on me because they could not generate any offense. I thought that the Jets would be a little bit uh, uh, confused on what they were going to do with Ripon because he is a new player. But they got to win nonetheless, and a dub is a dub. I just think... With Zach Wilson, you're going to get thrown out of some games. He's going to make some dumbass mistakes. And now that Brees Hall is out, I definitely don't like the Jets actually continue going forward here. We're a third of the way through the season, just over a third of the way. I don't like how this second half, this next two-thirds, really is going to go. So with the Giants, I look at it this way. Brian Dayball comes in, offensive and quarterback coach background, coaches up Daniel Jones to make him look like a serviceable player. Kind of looks like uh, Mark Bolger when he was a pro bowler with the Rams. Not saying that Jones should win a pro bowl, but he's an adequate player. And I never really hated Daniel Jones. I didn't think he should go sixth of the row overall, but you know, overall, he's a nice player. He's going to be a real nice backup. And the way I look at it right now, I know everybody's kind of really ready to uh, write his time in New York off and he's going to be on a different roster. If you're the Giants, why don't you just go to Daniel Jones and offer him a, a two-year deal worth $30 million, $15 million a year? Hey, you've done some good things, but we both know you haven't done a lot of great things. And there's not going to be any other team lining up to pay him top dollar. They're going to be paying him to be a backup. Daniel, why don't you just make backup money but be a starter here in New York? This will be your second year under Dayball, and we've, we're winning games. We might even go to the playoffs. This is obviously talking next offseason. We have gone to the playoffs and maybe even won a game in the playoffs because as it's going right now, I don't love the Giants roster, 
but they're playing well in tight situations. They're learning how to play winning football, playing in tight games and milking and squeezing out what they have of their roster, and it's leading to victories. I think when it's all said and done, they'll be kind of around that 10-7 and seven range, maybe uh, even 9-8 and eight and sneak in with the wild card. I don't think they're going to win the division. I think, obviously, Philly's got a great chance, along with Dallas, to, to go above the Giants. But why not even just ask Daniel Jones, hey, we're not seeing you as maybe the long-term fit here, but we'll give you two years, and maybe you can even surprise us, and then we'll change our minds. You are the long-term fit. He's already been there for uh, – this will be now his fourth season. Excuse me, his – yeah, his fourth season. I don't see the shame, and I don't understand why more teams don't do this, where you obviously don't have anything in the draft coming out that you love, maybe outside of Bryce Young, the guy at Alabama, but you're not going to be in reach to get that guy. Why not just roll with the guy that you have? I know a lot of times, you know, it's sour and situations like Mitch Trubisky, it's just time to move on. It hasn't been that way with Daniel Jones. He's worked hard. He hasn't been, um, you know, antagonized by anyone within the organization. It's now a new regime, and Dayball has obviously got him playing good football, and Saquon Barkley is healthier than ever. Just offer him a, a modest contract. It doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be yes, no. You're either getting the big bucks or you're getting nothing. Offer him something within that backup quarterback range, but you get the starter opportunity, and the Giants can build around him with all that cap space to go. So hats off to the Giants. They're for real, I think. I think they'll bake the playoffs. Jets, I think it's smoke and mirrors. Indianapolis Colts, they are looking for another quarterback. They're going to give it to Sam Ellinger, who I know – Texas Longhorns had a pretty good career. They've always kind of liked him in that room, even though they didn't give him the starter opportunity after moving off Carson Wentz and obviously traded for Wentz um, before drafting him back in the 2021 draft. You know, we'll, we'll see what they got. But I tell you what, Matt Ryan, former MVP, one of the more uh, volume passers of this era, along with Stafford, just guys that put up big totals, and have their names high up on the statistical annals, you know, he's no longer playing. This could be the end of his career, and he's 36. And, you know, I I heard this the other day with Brady and Breeze and how they're playing into their 40s and playing well into their 40s. It kind of just gives you this illusion that everybody does that, and it's just not the case. Some people think Russell Wilson's regressing. I don't really see that. Matt Ryan certainly is regressing. Uh, regressing, excuse me. And most guys are going to in their mid-30s, and especially their late 30s. We just think kind of this TB12 method and everything that Breeze did as well, like that applies to everyone. No. (laughs) I saw Roethlisberger last year. He looked old. He looked overweight. He looked out of shape. He could still sling it because that's, you know, repetition after repetition for so many years, but he looked old and he looked like he was struggling. That's how this usually goes. And Matt Ryan... Yeah, they, they benched him. I know he's got that shoulder injury, but they said rest of the year, Ryan's out. Colts are already looking at this and know we cannot get any better this season with Ryan. We have to go with something unknown. We have to go with a backup quarterback. That says a lot. Frank Reich is making that decision. Maybe Jimmy Irsay, too. If there's one thing we know, Irsay is not afraid to say anything publicly. Maybe we'll learn in a couple of days that Irsay instructed Reich to, to bench him play for the future and see if maybe they can hit on a top draft pick. 
So with Matt Ryan, this will go down as one of those guys that I'll look back on, like Matthew Stafford, where he's going to be high up the leaderboard on passing touchdowns, passing yards. He's probably even passed Troy Aikman and guys like uh, Carson Palmer. But those guys are Hall of Famers. Carson Palmer is not. I think he should be. Troy Aikman is. It's funny that these guys are going to be so high up the list, but I would never consider them to be Hall of Famers. They're just not. They they didn't have that, that I, I hate to call it it, it factor, but they didn't change the complexion of the games. Never at one point where you, did you fear the team that they played for, whether it was the Falcons, the Lions, or the Rams, were in trouble because that quarterback has the ball. You see that with Mahomes. You see that with Allen. You've seen it with Brady and Manning before him. Never have you felt that way with Matt Ryan. But at the same time, this has been one of the great careers at the quarterback position. Boston College. You never see that. ACC quarterbacks at Boston College coming into the NFL and tearing up the league. Heck of a career, Matt Ryan. I hate to write him off at this point in time, but it sure feels like the end. And it was an ugly end, but that's how it goes. Still a hell of a career for Matty Ice. So if you've been watching Hard Knocks, or if you did watch Hard Knocks earlier this summer with the Lions, you know that Dan Quinn is big on stressing family. And you're my guys, and I love you, man. And even Deuce Staley was talking like that. And I saw a thing with Jalen Hurts, who I think has a locker room. And I think his teammates love him, and they know that he's not BS. But you hear it all the time, we're a family. This is our family. We play as a family. That doesn't work in the NFL. You're getting paid millions of dollars. Some of you are getting paid 20, 28, 40 million dollars. When it comes down to it, you can get cut two hours after practice when you're talked about how great your family and how close your family was. Look at the Patriots. They've had success for years because they know what it is. It's an operation where you do your job or you're out. Brady, he set the intolerance from the beginning. Belichick, he still has it churning. I know they play tonight, and I know they may have Bailey Zappi playing at quarterback, but guess what? They've won games with Bailey Zappi because they're not a family. This is business. This is football, and they're all in the business of winning, so it makes it enjoyable. Doesn't mean it has to be cold. Doesn't mean it has to be harsh. But I'm looking at the Eagles right now, and they're 6-0, and a win is a win is a win. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I have them winning the East. I think their schedule is very favorable for them. But this whole family thing, when you have guys buy into that, and that's stuff that sometimes the coaches preach as well, so this is not an out on Hurst or on Jalen Hurts. That stuff, that has a, a finish line. That has an expiration date because soon as someone that is traded, that is loved in the locker room, that splits up the family. Then the family is alienated. Then the family is sad. It's tragedy. You can't think about it this way. For years, the Patriots got by knowing that you can be cut at any time. If you're not the best option for this team, they're looking to replace you. Happened with Brady. Apparently, Bill Belichick wanted Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster at starter's money to be the backup for when Tom fell off the cliff. Obviously, it never happened, but Belichick was preparing for it because this is not a family. 
This is football. And I look at the Eagles. Fly Eagles fly right now, 6-0. and Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions, not really working out that way. And I'm not saying it's because of that, but typically it comes to a crashing halt. And you look at the Patriots, they're still winning football games, and it's because it's as business as usual. I was completely wrong, all-time whiff on Brandon Staley. I thought this guy was smart. I thought he was very uh, uh, schematically in tune with the modern NFL, and he would fix the Chargers' defense. He hasn't even done that in his time in Los Angeles. Not only does the team stink offensively, special teams, game situational football, as everybody is talking about, and is warranted, their defense is terrible. If you cannot immediately fix your side of the ball, that's an issue. I remember Ron Rivera, and they've regressed a little bit, but he did that his first year in Washington in 2020. You know, some of these things, we, we give too much leeway with coaches. There needs to be immediate change and immediate progress from when you take over a team. Now, if you rip the team down to the studs, obviously you're probably not going to do that, but that's your whole reason for being hired. You're here to fix things. It doesn't mean just wiping everything out, which this is not the example that the Chargers did, but why the hell could you not have a defense that has J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack, uh, uh, Bosa, which one is he? Joey Bosa. Um, You have great players on that side of the ball. Why is your team sucking against the Seattle Seahawks that have Geno Smith, which, love Geno, said years ago he can play, but he's not Joe Montana. (laughs) you know, he's not Patrick Mahomes. They're getting worked and nothing's going to happen the rest of the year because Dean Spanos is a cheap bastard, but you just got to think like this guy's in way over his head. And I remember this was pointed out to me and I think I went to his Wikipedia page because I didn't believe it at first, but sure enough, it's true in 2009, which, okay, now it's like 12 years ago, but still 2009, this guy was coaching in Division Three football, which I'm not knocking Division Three football. I think if you play in college, that's uh, or you coach in college, you know that that you're part of the six percent or two percent or whatever it is. But that tells me that you don't have connections yet in the NFL because you've only been in that inner circle for a short period of time relative to the successful coaches in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan. Go look at his page. He's been in the NFL since, I don't know, his dad was coaching in the league. Same with Sean McVay. He was hired by John Gruden with the Buccaneers. So this idea that this guy was cut out for the job to begin with, no. No, he wasn't. I thought he was smart, but then as more information kind of was brought to my attention that was obviously already there before his hiring, I was, I'm now sitting here thinking like, what the hell was I thinking? No way is this guy cut out to be an NFL coach. And then you have him in the same division as Josh McDaniels, another guy that's been around the NFL since 2000. Andy Reid, I don't know, been to 10 NFC and AFC championships in his career. And then you got Hackett, who's even more abysmal, but obviously uh, Staley was there last year before his time. It's just, it's time to cut bait. And you got Justin Herbert. I know uh, Lombardi's there from... Uh, Peyton's tree back with the Saints in New Orleans. Maybe he's a candidate to be a head coach. I know I said that on an earlier podcast, but the more time that goes by, the more weeks that go by, 
I was hoping that he could get it turned around, but beyond the game situational things, his defense is atrocious. And I just don't see Brandon Staley having a long career with the Bolts. The New York Yankees swept by the Houston Astros. I don't really think of it as, oh my God, the Yankees underachieved and the sky is falling. I know in New York, that's how they take it. Fact of the matter is, Houston Astros are just a damn good dynastic team. The Houston Astros have been to six straight AL championship series. And no, it's not getting talked about because they were bang on the trash can in 17, which, you know, that's a big deal. They paid the price. But as a Houston Astros fan research for us, they really didn't gain that much of an advantage. Yeah, that's right. You should check out the podcast. There's a guy who just normal Joe, like you and me, he came home every day after work, logged into his MLB TV app, rewatched every game from 2017 and uh, recorded the amount of times the trash can was banged and exactly who benefited from it. It was really a negligible difference. Now, if you do commit that crime, you should have penalties against you and they serve that. And now afterwards, with the same cast of players or about the same, is not there anymore and Garrett Cole's not there, they're still kicking ass and still going to World Series. They've done it twice now. I think it's time to kind of put the end of that. They're just a damn good operation. New manager, new GM, they're still churning. And it got me thinking that, yeah, baseball, the playoff format, it's a crapshoot. It, it is, but I think if you do have experience, it can be a huge, huge advantage. I look at Alex Bregman, and I look at Jose Altuve. I'm looking at Framber. I'm looking at Yuli Gurriel, the guys that have been there for years now, and they are just calm, cool, and collected. On the mound, Verlander, all their relievers that they have, I mean, they just know how to win and how to go about each game for what it is. Dusty, obviously a great manager, but never in my years, maybe outside of like a World Series game, Last year, have I said, man, Astros just got worked. The Astros were just totally overwhelmed by that opponent, by that team, by the Braves or by the Nationals. No, they always play everything close. And I think it's because they just have very experienced players in that tournament, in the playoffs. Because unlike football, baseball is just managed and played so much differently in a playoff format than it is in the regular season. In the regular season, you're managing for the entire year, for 162. When it comes to playoff, it's just about that nine innings. Football, it's kind of relatively the same. You go about your your day and your week pretty much the same because in the regular season, you got one game a week. In the playoffs, you got one game a week. So it's the same. (laughs) But with baseball, you just got to go like it is your last game for the seven games out of the series. And I think the Astros, just knowing how to go about it, there's a huge experience factor there. And hats off to them. The Yankees, they had that at one point in the 90s with Jeter and Pennant and Clemens. I think that was probably why they went on that dynastic run and why we're seeing it now with Houston. And the Yankees are still trying to get back to that point with that magic. But right now, that's in Houston. That's down there uh, where, where NASA is headquartered. And I got nothing but respect and nothing but admiration for what they've done since that first appearance with uh, 
with the new look uniforms and kind of that new analytical way of thinking when they made the playoffs in 2015. So hats off to Houston. I can't wait to see how Philadelphia goes up against them because they've been kind of the Cinderella story. And I like their hitters. I love their GM or their president in Dave Dombrowski. And it's going to be a great fall classic. The only sad part is, is we got to wait till Friday. Thanks again for choosing the podcast, everyone. Our 100th episode. I appreciate every single person that gives their time out of their day to listen to this. And I hope that you can also share it with your friends and let them know how passionate we are about talking football, talking baseball. And we want to hear from you. The podcast at gmail.com. Put a question, a comment, anything that you want me to read aloud or respond to, I'll play it right here on the show. You can hit up the call line or text line. 816-226-7483. Again, the caller text line is 816-226-7483. Thanks so much for choosing the podcast. We'll see you guys next week.